regret, remorse, pages and pages of life wasted and gone. But your story isn't finished yet. There's still time for edits and cuts. But before you start doing the right things, sometimes you need to stop doing the wrong things. My story, I decided to stop. Good morning. Really glad you're here this morning. Last week, we started a new message series called My Story, and we looked at the importance of Jesus' resurrection and how it makes it possible to work with the Lord to write uh, a whole new storyline for your life as you cooperate with him. Hebrews 12.2 says, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. If we let Jesus help us author our story, it can have a trajectory that gets better and better, both in this life and then continues on through eternity in heaven. Uh, Our story unfolds as we make one decision after another. The decisions you make today determine the story you will tell tomorrow. That's the theme of our whole series. When we're in the midst of pressure from trouble in life, it's easy to think it's all over. My life's never going to be the same. Just that one decision, that one choice, uh, Maybe something happens to us, but our friend on the typewriter, who reminds me of my grandmother from southeast Oklahoma, uh, she she had some real wisdom for us. She's looking back. She's near the end of her life, looking back. She says, your story isn't finished yet. There's still time for edits and cuts, but before you start doing the right things, sometimes you need to stop doing the, right, the wrong things. And I, I found... It's not just sometimes, most of the time it's daily for me, where I have to just, the wrong things could start flowing, and I need to stop those before they get out there uh, in in my life. And if I don't, thankfully God's gracious with us, but I, I have some stories, I don't know about you, but I have some stories in my life, choices I've made that make me cringe. Uh, I grew up in Southgate, California, and in uh, while I was in high school, hung out with some friends. They they weren't bad guys. Uh, We were I would call us a group. This incident, you may end up calling us a gang (laughs) after I share this with you. But we were out riding a car, four or five of us in a car, and uh, somebody came up with the idea of throwing eggs at cars. Uh, I, I didn't realize at the time that eggs actually will ruin a car's paint job. I'm 15, young and dumb. Um, so uh, they started throwing eggs at cars. Uh, by the way, this is my first and last experience with this activity. <laughs> they were throwing eggs at parked cars. I decided to throw an egg at a passing car. 
happened to be a super beetle. I don't know if you ever, you know, a Volkswagen bug. It was a super beetle, super bug. Had a lot of quickness to it. So anyway, we're racing through the streets Southgate. And to make a very long story short, we end up getting caught. The police pull up, and they take each of us home. And I will never forget the look on my mom's face when she opened the door and I'm standing there with a police officer. I never wanted to see that look again, ever. That was horrible. The way it works in our world today, in the world we live in, if we're going to write a better storyline, I must decide to stop doing the wrong things first. That, that's, just, that's just the way it is. That's real life. We have some native tendencies that pull us like gravity in the wrong direction. They pull us down, not up. In the car egging incident, uh, I was more concerned with my friend's esteem than I was with doing the right thing. I really was concerned that they think I'm one of the, one of the group, one of the gang. And um, that was the gravity that pulled me toward doing the wrong things. This, this is how life is in this world. Uh, we have to stop ourselves from doing wrong before we can start doing the right things. And it helps me to know this. I don't know about you, but I, that really helps, okay? Because I can, I can get down on myself for all the temptations and all the things that are going on in my mind that, you know, I have to stop in order to do the right thing. And it, it, it seems like you, you have to crawl out of a hole first before you can get moving forward in, in the right way. And sometimes that's how it is. Thankfully, God is very gracious. I, I have patterns that I need to stop. So do you. It's it's best to stop them before they start. Sometimes we, we don't. But these can be the things that we either think to ourselves uh, or patterns of behavior that are, end up damaging. Uh, wh- whatever it is, God wants to help us stop doing the wrong things so that we can start doing the right things. And, and the good news is uh, we can stop and change because of his help, not our own effort. It doesn't work the way when you're in that hole that I talk about and you're, you're discouraged because you've dug this hole for yourself. You've done something. You've disappointed yourself. We can't crawl out of that hole with our own effort. We, we, need, we need Jesus to pick us up and put us on level ground. And thankfully, he does that. If we turn to him, he, he will do just that. Um, if we back up a verse from our core passage I just read, Hebrews 12.2, and look at Hebrews 12.1, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. In Hebrews 11, he's referring to this cloud of witnesses, and in Hebrews 11, he's just listed sort of a hall of fame of faith. Just all, all kinds of people 
who've gone before us, they've chosen to put their faith in God, that changed the trajectory of their life, and God used them to do some amazing things. All of these folks made a decision at some point in their life to start a new storyline in faith by putting their faith in Christ, trusting that God would come through for them. This is the cloud of witnesses who are watching as we live. That's the picture you have in Hebrews 12. So in full view of these witnesses, Hebrews 12 tells us, stop doing things that hinder our progress toward God's goals for us in our family life, in our friendships, at work, here in church life and ministry. God has goals, and he gives us a responsibility. He gives us a stewardship inside of the, for each of the arenas of our life, family, finances, work. We have a role to play. We have a stewardship, and he, he has goals for us as we live out our stewardships. And so Hebrews 12.1 tells us here there are some things that stop our progress, that hinder our progress toward doing God's will and reaching God's goals in these areas. So Hebrews 12.1 tells us to unload two kinds of things, hindrances and sin. We're told we must throw off Everything that hinders. That's what it says. The word for hinders here, this was originally written in, in the Greek language, which is, has a, it's, it's packed with word pictures and meanings that we can pull out of it. It literally, the word hinders means weight. So we need to throw off everything that weighs us down in accomplishing God's will for us which God's will is really the best as we handle each arena, each stewardship in a way that pleases him. God's will is, is the best thing for us. And the analogy here is, is running a race. You cannot run effectively if you're carrying a heavy weight. I, I played baseball. They used to tell me to unhitch the trailer because I was a little slow. So I was running like I had a trailer. I was pulling a trailer behind me. You know, unhitch it, Randy. You know, okay, I'm trying, all right? This is as fast as these legs will go. <laughs> this is all I got right here. Um, what's interesting is elite runners look for the lightest shoes possible. One estimate is that for every ounce a runner shaves off of their shoes, They'll run one second faster in a mile. For us, we carry these hindrances and weights, not, not on our feet, but in our hearts and minds. There are things that, that really weigh us down as we try to live our life. We have regrets from our past that weigh on us. We find it hard to let go of things we've done. And we can stew over what we've done. It just comes to mind over and over and over again. We run scenarios. What if I wouldn't have said that? What if I wouldn't have done that? What we have regrets. Uh, sometimes nostalgia is what weighs us down. 
we we find it hard to look forward and not look at the past because we really want it to be like the good old days. And it's the good old days that keep us from focusing on the present because it's not those days. It's now. It's right here and now. And God's going to meet you in the present right here and help you do what you have to deal with. We get overwhelmed with everything's on our plate. Um, we, we don't say no to all the options that we have, and we get overloaded with busyness. That makes us cranky. <laughs> we grumble. It impacts family life. It impacts family relationships, friendships, our work. It spills over into our coworkers. It affects people here that we relate to in church life. So sometimes it's sin or regret that's weighing us down in the race of life. Other times it's just an unwise approach to handling life and the stewardships that God's entrusted to us. In these situations, a, a shift in thinking, a shift in thinking and approach to life can free us up to handle our stewardships in a better way. Let's look at a story in the Bible where, where this, this happened. Um, you may be less familiar with this story from the life of Moses. Uh, when you think of Moses, you tend to think of uh, the Ten Commandments. Uh, maybe they come to mind. They show the Ten Commandments every night before Easter. I don't know if you notice that on TV. I have yet to watch it. Okay, I'm 60. 60, probably 60 Easter's have flown by, and I've never watched the whole four-hour Ten Commandments things. I, I understand it's really well done, but that's that's what you think of when you think of maybe parting the Red Sea. That's kind of an amazing <laughs> story, you know. That's that's an epic story, you know. Moses leads the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt. They get to the Red Sea. It parts. They cross on dry land. The Egyptians are swallowed up by it. But there's a lesser known story where Moses found himself urged to stop. And he was brought to a decision point. After the miraculous exodus uh, of the Israelites from slavery, Moses led that charge. The number of Israelites released from Egypt was between 2 and 3 million. One scholar estimates 2.4 million people, men, women, and children, in this group of people in the wilderness. They end up in the wilderness around the Sinai Desert, so it's very dry. And it's here that God provides miraculously for their needs of food and water. On top of that, an army known as the Malachites, I'm just blowing through this part of their history, um, an army known as the Amalekites comes out to defeat them as they're heading towards the promised land, and God delivers them from this attack. So they win that battle. So after the battle, things are settling down, and what happens is people start lining up to talk to Moses so he could help them sort out their problems. With a group that size, 2.4 million people, you can imagine the bottleneck. <laughs> that that Moses was. I mean, they're lined up. Personally, I don't like waiting in line. 
And if you're the one responsible for taking care of a long line of people, that wears you out. That just thinking about this wears me out. Um, about this time, Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, came to visit to hear the story firsthand. He'd heard it had been traveling, the story about what happened, what God did through the Israelites to release them from slavery in Egypt, began to travel around. He hears about it. He's like, i got to hear this for myself. So he, he takes uh, his, his daughter, who was married to Moses, brings her back to him and two sons, and they sit, they share the stories. He, he's able to hear the stories from Moses firsthand. Uh, they, they ate together, and they worshiped together. And then this is what happens the next day, Exodus 18, 13 through 18. Uh, the next day, Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people, one on 2.4 million. And they stood around him from morning till evening. You can only imagine that. When his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, What is this you are doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge while all these people stand around you from morning till evening? uh, Jethro observed a flaw in Moses' perspective and his approach to leading the people of Israel. And he asked them about it. So then Moses responds with this. Moses answered him, Because the people come to me to seek God's will. Whenever they have a dispute, it is brought to me, and I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and laws. Now, these were normal people like you and I. Can you imagine the disputes? 2.4 million people. This statement reveals the flaw in Moses' perspective. I'm buried with responsibility I can't see a way out, and I'm the only one that God can use to help these people. That's a problem. I'm it. I'm God's answer to all of these people. I'm the one. If I don't do it, nobody else is going to do it. He expects me to do it all. Moses' father-in-law replied, What you're doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Now, at this point, I'm sure Moses' heart sank. Everybody, you know, I'm I'm sure all good men would like to please their father-in-law, impress him. Not, Not too impressive. He's not very organized. And so Jethro basically says, Moses, you need to stop. Stop what you're doing. I don't know if Jethro is a leadership expert or what his credentials were, but he was wise enough to realize Moses had a problem. Moses couldn't see it. He was just doing what made sense to him. This is where we often find ourselves. We, we get going in a direction and we form a pattern, and we just keep adding things to the pattern, to the list of things we got to do, and before we know it, that's all we know. We have blind spots. Uh, the blind spot in a car is that area where we don't have visibility, and we don't see what is there. That's an illustration of our blind spot. In a car, it's extremely dangerous to 
operate without an awareness of your blind spot. That's why we have the mirrors, and we need to position them in the right way. Accidents occur because people don't stop to consider what's going on in their blind spot. I've, I've started veering over to change lanes, and whoa. You know, it's a jolt when you realize, oh, shouldn't have done that, and thank you, God, that I didn't do that, <laughs> because that's scary. Sometimes we have a, a passenger like Jethro here, and they point it out, and they say, hey, 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 wait, wait, wait. Something's there. Don't, don't, don't change lanes. Don't do that. Don't turn. Someone or something's in your blind spot, and we should be grateful for this. I don't know about you, but... Not always grateful for the the help that I get uh, as I'm driving the car, but I I should be grateful for it. Um, For Moses, his blind spot was you're trying to do everything yourself all in your own power. Now, we have have a tremendous amount of capacity, and we can do more than, than we think we can. The problem is he's trying to carry his load all in his own power. Jethro helped him make an important tweak uh, to the way he had things organized, and he began to work through others to help the people. Uh, you can read about, about it yourself in Exodus 18. It's not really my point this morning. But you may have a blind spot like this. You, you, you may have a similar thinking problem. I'm the only hope for fill in the blank. I'm going to make this work all with the power I can muster with my own strength. I'm going to pull this family together. I'm going to accomplish this project at work. I'm going to help this friend who's struggling. I'm going to serve in this ministry. And the list goes on and on and on and on. We have some flawed perspective or something that needs to shift. And the, the flawed perspective is I need to do this all in my own power and I'm the only hope for this situation right here. The truth is God is the only hope for anyone on the face of the earth, and he is going to provide what's needed for them. He may use you to do it, but what a load is lifted if you're not trying to do what you're trying to accomplish in your own power. You, you can just do your part. We can't, we can't really help people let go of stuff that they're dealing with. We can only sort of lead them to the place where they choose it. What, how freeing is that? Not to realize, to realize that you're, I'm not the Savior of all mankind. Jesus is. <laughs> I'm just going to let him do his part, and I'm going to do my part. How freeing is that? So that's how you throw off the things that hinder us, the weights, that hindrance, the hindrances. This is one example of the kind of thing we need to throw off and stop. Hebrews goes on to tell us that we, have, we, we should throw off sin that entangles. 
We need to stop unwise thinking and approaches to life, but we also have patterns of sin that make sense to us, and we need to stop. It's very helpful to listen. It's, it's a little harder. I mean, if it's, if it's a matter of wisdom and you're just approaching life in a different way, we love tips. You know, we love, we love a tip from somebody that just sort of a life hack kind of thing where, you know, they show us something, oh, that is fantastic. I got this app now that does all the thinking for me on this, and I just punch in the number, whatever it is. We, we love that. And, and that, that's, you know, in this situation with Moses, not quite that rough on him, but um, it's, it's a little harder when it's a sin pattern, like some wrong that we're doing, a pattern of wrongdoing. Because we get attached to that. But it's very helpful to listen if somebody's going to point out a blind spot like that. We all have certain temptations that pull us, like gravity. We have habits, yes. Unwise approaches, yes. But we also have temptations that pull us, like gravity, down and down. You may struggle with lying, lust, pride, comparison, envy. Maybe your problem is fearing what others think over pleasing God, like I was struggling with in the egging story. Uh, to, to live a new story means we need to recognize that our life is being choked out by these things and ask God to help us stop. You can change. I can change. Uh, but we need to cooperate with Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Change isn't just about starting, it's about stopping. It helps us to think ahead to the end of our storyline. If I continue in this direction, how will my story end? If I continue, fill in the blank with your sin pattern, you know, whatever's come to mind, where will I end up? This word uh, the, in, that, that carries the idea of entangles, the, the word entangles, it, it means, um, it carries the idea of being surrounded and trapped. It's a sin that traps us. Here's a picture of a trap. I believe we have it in there. Yeah, there's a picture of a, of a trap. If you step in that, your progress is slowed tremendously. That is really going to hurt. If I continue living outside my means financially and keep stacking up debt, what will my story look like in five years? If I continue lying to cover wrong when I'm caught, where will my relationships be? Well, they're going to be plastic and unreal. Grumble. If I if I keep grumbling and complaining, what kind of stress am I just going to add to my story? If I keep hiding my sin from others, where will the deceit lead me? Play your story out. If I continue in this direction, how is it going to end? I want to encourage you, if you're all tangled up in sin, you can stop living the story you're living and start living a new one. The Bible gives us a list of things to stop. And I've talked all around them, and I'd like to go back uh, to look at some of them. 
there, there's a bunch of things in the Bible that we need to stop. And the reason there's, there are all these lists of sins that we need to stop is because of the way it is in this world. There's things we need to stop doing in order to make progress toward the right things. And so as we get into the scripture, if you have decided to follow Christ, the Holy Spirit's come to live in your heart and life, and he's, God speaks to you through it. And often what he says to me is, hey, Randy, stop. There, that, that, that's something you need to stop. That's a pattern of thinking. That's a pattern of living. Those are words that you shouldn't use. That's a statement you shouldn't make. And it helps. Because after he convicts us, we can admit our wrong and he forgives us. After he shows us our wrong, he'll forgive us our wrong if we just admit it. That's what scripture says. We confess our sin, he forgives our sins. And cleanses us from unrighteousness. That's what the Bible says. So it's this pattern of as you grow, if you really want to grow in life, it's, it's letting God speak to you through his word. And then as he shows you what you need to stop, don't try to do it in your own effort. Confess it, admit it, and ask God to help. help let him help you write the, the, the story. Let him be the author of your faith. The grace and forgiveness to move on flows from him. So if I'm going to get free of weights and snares, I need to stop people-pleasing. That was my problem in the car accident, incident, not accident, wasn't an accident. Okay, I did it. I admit. I threw the egg. <laughs> um, I wanted my friends to think I was cool. Proverbs 29:25 Fear of man will prove to be a snare but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. Snares are traps. We saw that trap. That snare. We can look look at it again. That that looks like that's going to hurt. You step in that incidentally. If you step in this, your progress is slowed to say the least. People pleasing is a snare. How are you trapped right now by your fear of what people might think of you. If I'm in this trap, I compromise what's right because of what others expect. I cross God's boundaries because I want people to like me. I want to, them to think I, I'm an okay guy. Sometimes, someday when we'll meet God face to face, we'll need to live for that day if we're going to make the right choices. Like the, the look on my mom's face I, when the policeman brought me home after being caught for egging that car, I never wanted to see that face again. And that's what I think of when I think of the day when I'm going to meet Jesus Christ, when I'm going to stand before God. I don't want to see that same look on his face. I want to please him more than anything else. And so that's that guides us. People pleasing is a trap. It's subtle. You don't realize you're playing something so potentially dangerous and costly, but boom, it, it gets you. Another thing to stop is grumbling. We tend to see grumbling as harmless. But when we grumble we pollute the atmosphere with poison. 
Philippians 2 says, Do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe. The passage says, if we would just simply quit grumbling and complaining, we will shine like stars in the universe. Stars in the desert sky are breathtaking. Here's a picture of some of them. That doesn't really do it justice. Um, If you've ever been in the desert on a clear night, the stars are absolutely breathtaking. They're amazing. Think about what a blessing to your family, to your workplace, to church life, if you just simply stopped grumbling. Interesting word in the Greek. It's kind of rough, 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 rough. To to pronounce the word in the Greek is sort of like what it is. I'm just grumbling. I'm just. I can't believe that the boss did that. I can't believe they said. If we just stop that, we're going to shine because grumbling is such a part of our human nature and the culture around us that we easily slip into it. But what an instant way to improve the atmosphere. We pollute it without it, but if we'll stop, we can improve it. Another thing to stop is stewing in regret and discouragement. We can get caught in a stew of regret. We think about what we did over and over again, and we can't work our own way out of it. The good news is that we can turn to God who will help. Psalm 42.5. Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him for the help of his presence. God has promised to forgive if we'll confess our wrong. There's no need to stew in regret. When I wrestle with discouragement, one thing I've learned to do is turn to God and praise him. Sometimes there's... You know what you've done. You know, you're discouraged because you blew it and you're disappointed in yourself. There's that kind. If, if you're struggling with that kind of discouragement or disappointment in yourself, confess it to God. He forgives. You can move on. You can deal with that. Sometimes I have this vague sense of discouragement. I get up in the morning and I'm just like, oh, you know, this, I don't know, this day is just, ah. Okay, that's what it feels like. When I wrestle with discouragement, I've learned to turn to God and praise and thank him for all he's done for me and ask him for help to get out of it. And almost... Within 24 hours, I can't think of the last time where I haven't asked God to help me out of discouragement when he didn't bring help. Now, I still have to choose to get out of it, but he brings help. He brings encouragement. He brings the help I need. Final thing on the list I've given today, it's certainly not exhaustive. The final thing to stop is anger before it does damage. Psalm 37, 8, refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil. That word evil means to harm others. So don't, don't let anger sink in. Deal with it quickly. Talk it over with the person that is offended. If you can't let it go, 
If you're a Christ follower, we're, we're commanded to forgive as Christ has forgiven us. We forgive not in our own strength, not on our own basis, but because Christ has forgiven us. Um, if you can't let it go, talk it over with the person who offended you. Work, work it out with them and then forgive. And then let it go. Jesus made forgiveness a part of his prayer. They were to pray every day. Um, these are some of the things that derail our progress in life. They do damage in our stewardships if we don't stop them in our tracks. To tell the story I want to tell with my life, I must decide to stop doing the wrong things. What do you need to stop doing today? Maybe people-pleasing, grumbling, regret, dis- dis- discouragement, or anger. We, we need God's help to stop these things. The first step is to invite Jesus Christ into your life to be the author of your faith. Uh, if you're interested in getting some information about beginning a relationship with Jesus Christ, uh, there's a box on the back of your connection card. If you look at the back, if you'll take out <clears throat> the connection card and look at the back of it, uh, there is a, a box you can check that says, send me information about beginning a relationship with Jesus Christ. Check that box. Let us know. We'd love to help. And if you'd like to meet up with somebody and talk with them about starting a relationship with Christ, write meet up right beside that. Maybe something else has come to mind uh, other than the list I gave as I've walked through the message today, and it's derailing your progress. Consider how helpful it would be to take a long look at your blind spots and ask God for help to see the way out. In a moment, we'll receive our offering. Uh, Please finish filling out the connection card uh, if you haven't yet. On on the back side are some next steps uh, that I'm going to suggest. You may have others that God laid on your heart. But decide to start by taking a next step, and that may be to decide to stop. Um, My next step today is to stop, and then there's a blank there. You can just write out what God's laid on your heart to stop. Uh, Another possible next step is to memorize Hebrews 12.1. That's a great verse to have in in your heart and mind. And then another step, come back next week. We would love to have you. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the truth of your word that frees us up from the sin that entangles us. And, God, we are so grateful for your grace and forgiveness. And I, I, I ask, Lord, that you would, you would give us the ability to trust you and walk by faith, not rely on our own power to do what it is you have laid on our plate to do. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.